This is Cinema Degeneration. <laughs> no. Why? why? Why is that funny? Look, look. You came to me to find out how guys like Mike and Chucky and Freddie do what they do, not why. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's Single Serving Slasher Appreciation Month. And we've been going at this for a couple of weeks now and in the space-time continuum of things. And we are going to be bringing you a very special holiday horror with New Year's Evil from 1980. This would continue the trend that was uh, pretty big in the late 70s, the early 80s, where we would have a lot of holiday-themed slasher movies. And it was a great gimmick for a couple of years there. You know, we had Friday the 13th, Black Christmas, April Fool's Day, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Halloween, you know, My Bloody Valentine, and this little ditty right here, New Year's Evil. And joining me this evening for the festivities is my good buddy, Scott Tepperman. How the hell are you? What's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> now, I got to, before we get into the, the reviewing the movie and, and kind of reminiscing and talking plot points and stuff, I got to ask now, we talked off the air, so I know what your three favorite slashes are, but what are your three 
favorite slashers in in order. So my favorite horror film of all time is Near Dark, and you know that. I just it's high highly yeah. underrated. Um, but you know that's in a class by itself. When you look at slasher films, which everybody loves, um, and if I they don't, I don't want to know them, people. Right, exactly. There's <laughs> no reason for that negativity in your life. Exactly. Uh, um, but my three <laughs> favorite slashers, in order from the best to the least best, which is still top three: New Year's Evil, Slumber Party Massacre three, and Final Exam. Those are my top three. That hasn't changed for years. It's been like that pretty much forever. Yeah, and considering the era when, in which all those came out, it's probably not going to change anytime soon, that order, right. I imagine. Right. <laughs> well, uh, you know, so I got to ask before, again, before we get into, you know, the deep diving into this, what is it about uh, New Year's Evil that just makes it your favorite slasher? There's got to be something to it. Well, there's there's quite a bit of stuff. First, it uh, it's it's you know it was one of the things that up until recently remained elusive. That was it was released. I think it was released twice. I sent you the pictures that I had, but it was on Paragon yes. Video and then it was on Canon Video, um, and it pretty much disappeared. And uh, I don't believe either of them, you know, any of those releases did that very uh, did very well when it came out in theaters. It was you know at, at that heyday for the slasher. Um, that was the time pretty much the, that they were all coming out like two or three a week. And so it kind of got lost in the shuffle. I don't really think the reviews didn't help because the reviews were over uh, across the board. They weren't like, this is so bad. It's good. Or this is so good. It's entertaining. It was all, everyone was kind of just like, eh, it was another one. And that's what they, um, you know, that's where this film kind of landed in, uh, purgatory, so to speak, um, over the years, it's attained this big cult classic because this this cult status because the theme song is awesome, <laughs> very catchy and cool, and played pretty much ad nauseum through the film. But yeah, and it's um, not as bad as like the Halloween Two theme song getting played every thirty seconds, but they do play it a lot. <laughs> the theme is it's an awesome theme, and so oh, yeah, it's great when people reminisce about that film at all if they even bring it up. And like again, this is one film that people generally don't even mention half the time. Um, they mentioned a song, but they really dismissed the film. And I think the film is definitely worth a rewatch. I think the, um, it's, you know, a lot of these films back then, there's some good parts, but then it starts and it sputters and it kind of maybe limps to a conclusion. Um, this kind of started pretty strong. It built through an interesting story and it knocked it out of the part at the, uh, park at the end. Um, you had a killer that was, we'll get into it later, but, um, especially for this kind of a film, he was very layered, uh, was a very good actor, uh, and pretty much didn't do much really notable other than this film. So he's kind of known for this. Um, and so he stood out, uh, in that role. Very, very good, um, charming character, good looking guy, everything, good actor. And, uh, it was a very interesting way to take one of the, the mad slasher characters and actually add so much layer to it. And also, I just feel that if you watch the whole film, it's very, it's, it's, um, it's elegantly made, but yet it still remains, uh, it remains very exploitative. <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, it still, definitely has it, its roots firmly in exploitation, yes, but it's, it, it walks a very fine, but some of these shots, it's like, that's a beautiful shot. That's a surprising shot. That's a great shot. And it just comes together to make this really unforgettable package. And it doesn't fall prey to 
the, the things that I was talking about that, that plagued a lot of these other films, I'll bring up a 70s film real quick, but When a Stranger Calls, everybody loves that movie. But if you remember, the first 20 minutes are awesome and the last 20 minutes are awesome. The middle kind of flounders. Now, the middle, yeah, stuff, yeah. it's still really good, but it definitely, you know, it peaks in the beginning, dips and then peaks at the end. New Year's Evil just fucking take, excuse me, as we can curse. But New Year's oh, Evil, you can say whatever you want here. You're good. Because New Year's Evil, just, it just takes off and just keeps going and going and going and going up. And it's just a fantastic movie all around. Yeah, I have to agree, I have to agree with a lot of what you said. I mean, it's got great writing, some brilliant editing for the day. It's really yeah. like inventive editing with like shadows and silhouettes and just crane right. shots that are just not usually afforded of films of this ilk of 1980. No. Not at all. You get the feel with this movie that it was, which I know a lot of, I don't really want to second guess or you know speak for these uh filmmakers that were responsible for this movie but a lot of people during that time just wanted to make a movie and they didn't even have an interest in doing horror but they said you know what that's what's making money right now so let's make a horror film and so it almost looks like you have higher filmmaking aspirations and sensibilities behind the cameras for new year's evil but it translates to a horror film, but it definitely translates to an, an elevated one. One is definitely um, more, like you were saying, more polished and more elegant and more just all around more pulled together. Yeah, and, let's, and we got to talk a little bit, <clears throat> at least at one point, about the soundtrack. The soundtrack mostly done by the, the, the group Shadow or uh, or Made in Japan, you know, make up yeah. Great songs, great punk rock era of music of, of that particular era, you know. And it doesn't hurt that, like, the enti- you know the entire movie is pretty much set, set at a punk show. Right, so, exactly. That's so, uh, one of the things I love about it, but God, what a great, great, great soundtrack. But let me go ahead and give the folks at home who are listening, and if they don't know about this movie, you should pause right Shame now before on, we start. Yeah. Shame on you. Yeah, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, why are you lis- listening right now? Pause. Stop this. Go, go find the movie. You can get it on Prime. You can get it. find it on Plex. It's, a, it's all over streaming. On, you know, you can find it just about anywhere th- these days now. Ten years ago, maybe not so much. But uh, you can find it anywhere these days. So please, I implore you, go watch it. Go re-watch it even if you have seen it. And then, then come back and listen to us. But I'm going to give you the IMDb synopsis for New Year's Evil from 1980. During a New Year's Eve celebration, a Los Angeles disc jockey receives a phone call saying that when New Year's strikes in each time zone, someone will be murdered and she will be the last one. And that's pretty much spot on. Like I say, yeah. most of the time I feel like these uh, synopsises are not on the money, but that one is uh, pretty direct. And uh, I, I love the thing I love about the most about this movie, besides the soundtrack, is that it's a holiday themed slasher. I've already touched base on that, but like there was a thing going on there for a while where you, like you had Halloween, Friday Thirteenth, April Fool's Day, you know, where everything was a holiday. I think they right, did it until they literally ran out of holidays. <laughs> right, you had them. They were also um, uh, holiday themed, but the, the titles didn't necessarily reflect them. Like Home Sweet Home, that's Thanksgiving. You know, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. That's a great one. To All a Good Night, obviously, that has that title. Oh, in there, that's a good one. It is a good one. And, and you know, there's a lot of these films out there that are just 
yeah, everyone was just starting to think, oh, this is just another one. It's like, no, they they had all the the don't films, you know, don't oh. don't um don't answer the phone, you know, all all these things. Um, and so everyone just kind of grouped them in there, you know, don't don't go in the house and all that. And th- all these movies stood out for certain things. There, there was certain something that was at least one or two memorable scenes that was good about them. Uh, and New Year's Evil again is probably just. You know, all the reviews that I've ever read was like, and yet another tired, you know, and it's that kind of that's how the review starts right in a way, you know, it's biased, but they're too quick to dismiss it right away. It's just another, like you said, gimmicky holiday slasher film. And there's just there's so much to offer with this film. Yeah, and I mean, the the director, Emmett Alston, didn't really do a, a whole lot in the way of directing. I think he uh, directed seven or eight projects a couple of ninja movies you know this was his second feature and you know he also directed the 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 not so great uh, demon warp but i have a an insane amount of love for that movie because it's demon just so cheesy and, yeah that's, it's I just so it. cheesy and bad but it's like a totally different uh category movie than yes this. it is but uh <laughs> i i love the the, the opening with the Oh, Roz Kelly, who plays uh, mm-hmm. Diane Sullivan, her mm-hmm. her uh, assistant that's, you know, calling her <laughs> always, always with a obligatory who's there when, <laughs> when, <laughs> when, you know, you're in the bathroom and some door creaks open. You know, I, I never understood that in movies, but it seems to be a kind of a trope. But uh, I like that there's a shower fake out. Mm hmm. When she goes to, yeah, to get the dripping faucet kind of changing. There's a there's a lot of um like you were saying with trope and everything. There's a lot of cliches and a lot of horror cliches that they pretty much hit all of them, but they don't they don't they're not executed the way that you'd necessarily think. And I think that right you know people don't give this film enough credit because half people like I said they they mention a theme song and dismiss the rest of the movie, but it's a very sharply written film and and sharply like you said edited and. It's just very well produced film. Well, I, well, like with the with the shower fake out, you think you're going to get the obligatory shower scene. That's what they're kind of aiming at. And when she even reaches into the shower the first time to you know, to to adjust the water because you know it's dripping, and so she's a little annoyed by it. I love the second fake out, and next thing you know, we got a dead Yvonne. She is is dead, and they you know most of the time I feel somewhat cheated when kills happen off screen. You know, but but this movie, it happens a couple of times. A couple of the kills happen off screen or at least, you know, in shadows and whatnot. But the way they're edited together when they're showing the different shots of the, you know, the the, the shadow of the hand with the knife on the wall, the, the blade dropping in and out of frame and just getting bloodier and bloodier. It's just greatly just so edited, edited so well. It really, it really is. There's, there's really not that much gore in this film, uh, but there's a no, lot not of, a lot. Of, a lot of implied violence and a lot of um, psychological violence, and uh, it, it, it's very, it's smart to, like you said, I didn't feel cheated at all because if something happened off screen, it wasn't like a cheap whatever. It was almost this big, um, it, was, it was like orchestrated beautifully, and they just didn't show the kill on screen. Like it was, it was, it was worth it. It still worked very well. Um, there's some surprises in it. It's just, it's a very good movie. And we got to talk a little bit because, and cause we're only about, <clears throat> about five minutes in when we get the new year's evil 
song sung by and and or performed by Shadow. I fucking love the song. I am a sucker for any kind of movie that has its own theme song that has yeah. like its own official theme song. I, you know, it checks that box for me. It just checks yeah. one of those boxes that I'm just like, yep, you get a thumbs up from that. It's just infectious. It's very catchy. Yeah. Yeah, like I was, I found myself like I watched this movie before I went to work today, and I found myself at work humming, you know. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm like, uh, and I'm trying to explain to my boss like what I'm hum- humming, and she has like no idea about any kind of horror movies. I think she said she, the only movie she ever saw in the theater was Exorcist, and that was the last one. <laughs> Jesus. But uh, gosh, yeah. I mean, when we get into the movie, we get past the, the you know, the, well, I wouldn't say get past Shadow because they do like eight different songs on the soundtrack. So and even the gonna, same, even the same song several times in a movie. A couple times, like yeah. that must have been like an Indigata Devita song. It must have been like in in the reality of the movie, it must have been like eighteen minutes long because right. they're, yeah. they're just performing forever and ever. <laughs> But uh, the main character, uh, played by Roz Kelly, Diane, who is also known as, uh, was it Blaze? Blaze, yeah. Yeah. She's heading up a New York, you know, not New York, but a, a, a New Year's Eve punk rock party that is, like, uh, you know, being broadcasted, you know, in Chicago and New York. And so they're doing it for several hours and they're just doing this big punk rock show. And, you know, New York. Or not New York, but, you know, like, 1980s punk rock scene, what a time to be alive. Mm -hmm. I I feel like I was born, like, 15 years too late Mm -hmm. to to where I could, like, (laughs) you know, where I could, like, truthfully, you know, I can appreciate the the, the time frame of it, but I just wasn't quite old enough to to be there. I had to be sitting on my mom's shoulders to to enjoy it, but I just love the atmosphere. I feel like I was born in the wrong decade. Well, I, I kind of I, I kind of caught the tail end of that because I was uh, December 73. Um, but I caught just the tail end of that where some of these bands were, were, I guess, weren't at their prime. But some of them, you know, I grew up in New York and some of them were still around and still performing. So I'm a, I'm not saying I saw Shadow and, or Live or anything, but um, there were a lot of these bands that uh, I was privy to either see or at least be very aware of or at least see you know advertisements for surprisingly you know a lot of these bands especially back then obviously they didn't have internet and all this crazy stuff but you would literally see uh, flyers like stuck to sides of buildings and stapled to trees of bands that were pretty big deals back then but that that's how they advertised a lot of that stuff and it, it just blew my mind to to see this stuff and yet yeah, to grow up around that that period was just insane and so you know this this film came out when i was six obviously i didn't see it when i was six but um <laughs> uh, you know it, it captured a really special time and uh, i think it was in particular it was probably uh, most prevalent in the polar opposites of the u.s uh, you know probably u.s and uh hollywood or california is probably where or san francisco that's probably where everything was happening and so, uh, yeah, it's crazy, crazy, absolutely crazy, but a very cool, memorable time for sure. You know, I, I, I think that the, the only, the, I'm going to call this a minor quibble with the mm-hmm. movie because I find this movie to be almost utter perfection. But th- there's a weird exchange when th- at the very beginning, when some of the punk, ro- punk rockers are trying to get in and the cop just goes, tickets, tickets, 
Let's see your tickets. Let's see your tickets. It was just the weirdest exchange. Yeah. I was just like, why did they leave that in? It's yeah. like really, it's the one part person in the movie that just that, that one cop just doesn't seem to be on the same page as everybody else. I, I'll, right. I know I'm a nitpicker, but I, I want to say that's the one part that, I, that leaves me scratching <laughs> my head and going, what, what, why were they? Why that's did they do you that? Can tell that it was basically probably a family friend that they. <laughs> Granted a role or something. That's what it was. <laughs> but, and uh, so, like, you know, that's that's when when we do our indie film. That that's one of the main things that plague indie films is that um, one of the complaints is that people always say they just populate the films with friends and family. Um, it's cool to do that, but you know, at least all of us in our little circle, and you're included, we all at least try. First of all, people understand if we can't get them a role, we can't get them a role. But we also right. try to get people to have the rudimentary, basic, you know, uh, acting ability to get in there and pull off what's needed. So, you know, you don't you don't want to detract from the film. But then again, you don't want to alienate your, your friends, your family, your fan base. I get that. But um, you just do your best you can. And that's that's a limitation with indie film. But I, I certainly don't know why they this was a Hollywood production. And I, I certainly don't know why. <laughs> Why they did that, but that's where I'm guessing, and, and that's what that's I, that's somebody that cut him a check. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's totally, it has to be. It has to be. Ah, uh, well, we don't have to talk about this completely in a linear fashion because this is a rare movie where you know who the killer is right from the get go. Right. You you know you you well, I shouldn't say you know who he is, but you see his face. Right. He doesn't even throw on you know the the character of Richard doesn't even throw on a mask. Until about the final scene when he's trying to make his final kill. That's 15, 20 minutes or so, yeah. Yeah. And it's a creepy-ass mask. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's like uh, it's like Richard Nixon and, like, like John Wayne Gacy had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great mask. But yeah, but Kit Niven, who play, uh, played Richard Sullivan, who is, mm-hmm. you know, of course, uh, Diane's uh, husband. He mm-hmm. is essentially the killer. We're ruining things here for you, folks, so just keep in mind here. Again... <laughs> Uh, if you haven't if you haven't watched the movie by now, you're you're, you're totally fucked. I'm just saying. <laughs> but I I like the fact that this is a different kind of movie. It's not you know not that I have any problems with these films I'm about to mention, but Halloween or Friday the Thirteenth, where it's a mass killer and you don't ever see their face. But this one, it's right out in the open. You see him the entire time. He might go through some disguises, you know, when he puts on the the, the wig and the little fake mustache and he dresses up as a priest. But like you see his face, it's it's not a, a you know a mystery as to who this guy is. It's just a mystery until the end that who he is in relation. What I think is odd with this movie is that um, Halloween, Friday Thirteenth, you know, I'll, I, and to a lesser extent, Nightmare on Elm Street. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is uh, because you do see Freddy's face. But the other two, they're they're just faceless killers. Literally, there's a mask on them, whatever. Mm-hmm. And yet, what you identify with the killers, you identify with the killers. For New Year's Evil, <clears throat> excuse me, the the character Richard, he's a good-looking guy. He's charming. He's um, I can't say he's funny, but he's he's charming. You can kind of understand, like, okay, I can understand how he's a ladies' man or how you know his wife is who she is or whatever. Um, and most of the movie is is excuse me, most of the movie is driven by him. You know, it's not like he's a secondary. He's like the main whatever. And yet, yeah, he's one of the I, two main characters between him and uh, Diane. Right. You know, they're the, and, and, definitely and the, the two. 
But what's weird is I find myself, and I love the character. He's great. That's kind of what elevates this movie all the way up to the top for me. But I still, this is a rare horror film, slasher uh, film like this, but I find myself rooting for the first time for the heroes. I'm actually like, no, no, get him, get him, get, you know, um, and you think that I'd be the other way around since you kind of really get into this character and identify with this guy. You don't want him to succeed. Like he's a fucking psychopath. And so (laughs) kind of are, you do find yourself identifying oddly with the right people. And that's interesting because usually people say a lot of one of the big um, critical pieces of criticism that uh, critics usually have is that um, they're identifying with these people. It's terrible. It's this and I don't care morally all that stuff. Who gives a shit? But it's true. People always seem to identify with Jason or Michael. And I I know they've over the years, they've become just untaught. They've become like these godlike figures. So I get it. I understand that. But at the same time, you're rooting for these guys and they're just walking. They don't have, you know, that's just what they are. They don't speak. They don't do much other than walk around and kill. And yeah, they're just killing guy, machines. Right. And this guy actually has a likable person, that persona and everything else. And you find yourself rooting against him as you should. <laughs> so somehow, <laughs> right, somehow he's not they, a got good guy. The, they got every, all the pieces in the right place, I guess. Cause that's how it hits me anyway. And uh, it's kind of interesting. That does it that way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's something to to be said about the little nuances uh, when they're at the sanitarium where he's going to make his uh, well, not technically first kill. Uh, I was gonna, I guess, you know, because he killed Yvonne at the beginning. This the uh, the second kill where he kills the nurse Jeannie. Mm-hmm. Where where there's little nuances and touches I love with the side characters that you usually are not afforded in <clears throat> in movies like this. Like for instance, like. When you're in the when they're in the sanitarium and they're getting ready to set up, you know they're having a New Year's Eve party even for the inmates, the 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 patients, and you know like the one guy who is pushing the little Santa on a tricycle around the table, and then yeah, and then the guy smashes it with a shoe. Yeah, they totally it means nothing in the grand scheme of the movie, but it's one of those little moments, little nuances that I love. Well, also there's there's a, there's a lot of um. There's a lot of foreshadowing in this movie. And one thing I pointed out to Kim, my wife, um, we were watching it earlier. She watches every, my tradition is, I, I usually watch it more than this, but every single New Year's Eve, I watch New Year's Eve. That's what we do. We watch New Year's Eve and we watch a week called Steel Trap, which I love. We watch those two back to back and that's our New Year's Eve. You know, we're act like we're like 90 year old senior citizens, but that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> usually what we do for New Year's Eve. You know, our stepdaughter's away with her, with her, my stepdaughter's away with her dad. And that's just what Kim and I do. We'll go out to eat and then we'll finish up with those two movies. Um, I've never seen Steel Trap. <clears throat> oh, my God. Minute. Yeah, you got to see that one. It's fucking fantastic. I'm writing fantastic. it down. I'm writing it down. Yeah, fantastic. Um, but one of the, and I brought up to Kim today and she didn't even realize this, but like one of the um, interesting bits of foreshadowing is you have made in Japan that plan, that band playing, and um, Richard. This is intercut with Richard is at the bar at a disco or whatever. I think that's what it is. He's trying to pick up these two two ladies. One leaves for whatever to dance with somebody, but he's focusing on this other girl, ditzy blonde, whatever. And it's cutting back and forth, and he's like, "Do you want to?" You know, 
I want to get out of here. I got a party at Eric Estrada's house. I'm his agent, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I love that and line. So, yeah, yeah, it's great. So she's like, yeah, well, okay, you know, I got to go to rest and whatever. And um, and then it cuts to Made in Japan, and they're singing. What are they singing? Dumb blonde, dumb blonde. Yep. <laughs> and yep. it comes back to her, and she's a ditzy blonde getting in the car with him. It's fantastic things like that. And you she know, was ditzy, thing, but she was smart enough to bring her friend. Bring with. her friend, right? Yeah. And so. But what but what I find really interesting with this film is, I mean, we could always get into this later, but um, I, we're not talking about like this is some Merchant Ivory production. It's not trying to be this giant artsy film. It knows it's a slasher film. It's not trying to be more than a slasher film, but it's trying to be a very well honed slasher film. And so by doing that, they're they're not setting their sights too high. They're saying, hey. We're working in this slasher realm. Let's just knock the shit out of the park with this one, and that's what they do. Um, and yeah, I think if they were if they were striving for more, this movie could have very easily fallen apart. They could have overreached very easily. But they play it right where they need to play it. It's like expertly put together for what it is. It's expertly put together. Well, the whole story of it, you know, which we have, we kind of glossed over it a bit, but, you know, the killer, Richard calls up, you know, the, the hotline and says to the, you know, the, the, the DJ, you know, which is, the, or the MC, which is Diane, or, or Blaze, as she's called. And he says, you know, I'm going to kill somebody at every hour, on at every time zone, every time that strike, the clock strikes midnight, I'm going to, I'm going to record it. You know, I'm I'm going to kill them, and you're going to be the last one. And the fact that he actually, you know, has a tape recorder that he brings with him and records the killings to play back to prove, like, hey, and he's he's given them the clues. You know, he doesn't care that the cops are in he's, on he's it. Like, he's like, come get me. He's like, you'll find a body here. You'll find a body here. Like he's. It tells him exactly where to find them. Yep. You know, and I, I love that he's. He, I think in a way, I mean, maybe this is just me, and maybe I'm diving too deep into the psyche of this this mm. character but i think he wanted to be caught i don't think he wanted to be caught until he figured out what was going on right. you know until he not till till he till i mean he wanted them to figure out what was going on is what i meant to say and he didn't want them to figure it out until he had completed his plan but if you know he also was almost like begging to be caught <laughs> and well yeah he just had a, he had a serious problem with women um and that was his you know in general he he really didn't care he just wanted to um basically what he did is he was, he was and you know um diane plays blaze and um was known as blaze and she's essentially like this elvira character uh, not yeah, like not a punk like extent. a punk rock like a punk rock version of her, right? She's getting all hot and bothered and sexy and hosting this thing, and um, and so he does all he's doing. He's basically threatening. He's like, "I'm gonna kill all these people that are close to you. You can't do anything about." It. Um, and she's just, you know, determined to keep going and whatever. And what I think is really interesting, who we haven't brought, uh, spoken about yet, with uh, Grant Kramer, who was a star of Killer Clowns from Outer Space about eight years later, um. Yeah, a little but, bit of uh, he was even in uh, Auntie Lee's meat pies, which is right. admittedly <laughs> yes, a, a, a favorite of mine. People that's would good, maybe call it a, a, a guilty pleasure, that, but I don't believe in that term. One. No, that's a fun one. Um, he's great in it, you know. And, and, well, the thing, and I think this was his first film, and and you know, for him to what they did, they focused so much on him. He was her son, 
and he obviously had some issues and he obviously had this and that going on. But um, that was huge red herring for this film because you really thought that stuff was going down with him. And this one point when he's trying to talk to her on the phone and, you know, when you see it a few times, you may not pick up on it, but he's trying to talk to her, can't reach her. And his hand's shaking. He goes grab some water and some pills and he takes them uh, or looks like alcohol and pills. And he takes the pills and he puts his hands on his head. And he's like, like he's got pressure there, whatever. You think he's possibly attempting suicide. Um, but if you see towards the end when Richard um, puts the mask on and he's on the roof, he's doing the same thing. So obviously mm-hmm. it's, it's setting it up like the son has the exact tendencies as the dad did. And um, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this, a lot, like quite a bit. And it's not in your face. It's like it, it kind of respects its audience in the fact that it, it's it's pay, it's asking you to pay attention. Well, it's asking you to pay attention because you're obviously seeing Richard doing the killing. Right. You know, and, and you know, he's the one that he's using that voice modulator to disguise <laughs> his voice and you make him right. sound like that. They even say makes him sound like the phantom. But uh you know, then it will cut to Grant Kramer, you know, as Derek, and he's, you know, putting that red nylon over his face and like making faces and like look, look looking very menacing. It's like you're left to keep wondering what is his fucking but, deal because you right, don't but, know what the relation is between him and the killer, at least right. not and, until and, 15 minutes before, before the end. Right. And when you see him doing all that, you think right away he's trying to. And I, I basically gleaned from this is that he's, he's, uh, trying to attempt suicide he's mentally unstable because of the stocking and this and that but i i got basically from uh all that is that he was taking pills to suppress the feelings that he had in his head that exactly what his dad did mm-hmm, um because mm-hmm. he was reacting the same way and the thing he was putting on his head and why he was going in there to uh, to uh you know approach his mom is the fact that he got a part in a, a leading role in the sci-fi thing. He was probably dressing up like one of the sci-fi characters in the film. You know, I never thought of it that way. To yeah. show her, but she was not interested, so he fled and took off, and that was it. So the, it, it, he wasn't as sinister as you think. And then it's like, you know what? He seems to be the red herring, the red herring, the red herring. Generally, they do that with horror movies, especially back then. And those characters either get killed off right away or they just disappear into the thin air, like never to be heard from again. And it's like that <clears throat> that's kind of a cheap ploy to to misdirect the audience. Um, but it happens all the time. Right. Right. With, oh, this yeah, one, all the time. with this one, it's explained away. It's like, oh, shit, I get it because of this, because of that. So it wasn't a lazy way to do that. But they did pull the wool over people's eyes because, like you said, you didn't even realize that they were tricking people into thinking he was this way and then know it all pulled together at the end. Oh, that's why I did this. That's why I did this. That's why I did this. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Now, I guess we'll get to it anyway, but it leaves it totally wide open for a sequel. Um, yeah. Well, that's but, part of the reason why we're even doing this, the single serving slashers month at, at all is because it's right. you know, what movies that we wish had a sequel. Right. And most of these slashers always left the ending open for a sequel. As, this and this one, open. Oh yeah. It, it could have been, it could have had a sequel that took place like Halloween two style. It could have been like mm-hmm. in that same evening, and same meanwhile minute. at the house, yeah, right. yeah, the scene kind of stopped mid mid scene. It's like, yeah. oh my god, like what the fuck? Like if there's one little like shortcoming of the movies, it's like oh, if it could have went on for just like two mm-hmm. more minutes to see what the hell happened. Yep. 
and you know what? I, I like the fact too that even while although there's humor in this movie, it's not like yuck yuck in your face, slap oh, your no. knee like <clears throat> like blatant horror comedy. There's just little nuances in the dialogue, like when our killer, like for instance, is at the uh, the sanitarium and he's romancing the nurse and he's making out with her and she's like, you know, I've only known you ten minutes and he's like, does it matter? She's like, no, not tonight. <laughs> it's just little nuances like but that. And there's an and it's what it is though. It's more of like a unsettling, like just a quick little. <laughs> okay, let's get back to it now. You know what I mean? It's not right. Right. It doesn't really take you out of the moment, but yes, it keeps it. There's some smart nods to you know what the audience knows and what the characters don't know. Um, and so yeah, they they play with all that very well. I think the fact, that obviously, I don't think there'd be any other way to do this movie if they didn't show the, the identity of the killer from the beginning because the whole movie pretty much follows his um his journey so you know you have yeah, it's to all about him. his exploits i mean more right. of the movie is spent with him than it is with our any uh, pr- protagonist right and and so you know they have to make it interesting they have to make it believable and it, and it's and they managed somehow to keep it surprising uh from the beginning to the end it's surprising so because like even when it's reve- when it's finally revealed, you know, we're, we're jumping around a little bit here, but I got to talk about this aspect while it's fresh in my mind. Is when it's revealed at the end, you know, that Richard is, you know, who is the killer and who we've been seeing this entire time is Diane slash Blaze's husband. It makes the whole last fifteen to twenty minutes of the movie so fucking intense because mm-hmm. we know he's the killer. You know, nobody else does. And he's just walking amongst everybody. Right. You know, he's just like. Like, like all the way up to the end when she's sitting like this is like probably less than 15 minutes left of the movie when she's sitting at her mirror and he walks up behind her with the mask on. You're like, oh, shit. And also he takes off his mask and it turns she's like, oh, Richard, right there. It hits you like, oh, crap. I have no idea what's going on with this movie right now because they t- totally pulled the wool from uh, the rug from uh, right out from under me because. There's there has been no way for you to figure that out. No way. Yeah. At least, you know, like, of course, we're talking first time impressions with this, but it's still like every time I watch it, I'm still surprised because at the end, it's just like, that's right. Like, they don't know. Like, and and it's still I feel that same intense kind of feeling, you know, that last 15 minutes and And a little nuance. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go right. ahead. Let's just say one of the best lines in the movie is when he has her in the uh, elevator and he's just he starts unraveling. He just starts going on his diatribe about like why he's hates women and he's freaking out. And he, and he puts his head against her chest. He's like, I hear your heart beating. I hate that. <laughs> I love like, that. That's bad. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't, I can hear your heart. Beating. I don't like, I that, don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then cool. he says to her something about two seconds later, he's like, get smashed when he like that's chains her up at the bottom of the, the elevator stuff. shaft. Stuff. And something that I noticed this, uh, this time around that I don't know if I it feels like something new that I noticed that I never picked out before when Derek Grant Kramer's character is playing with the knife and it's the same switchblade that his father has like they Mm -hmm. both have the same exact switchblade and he's like cutting the roses off and he's Mm -hmm. cutting the buds of the roses off scene it seems to me like he's almost mimicking his dad's you know actions of cutting cutting apart something beautiful so to speak and i felt like oh like 
oh, like this is the part when I'm just like, oh my, well, what is the connection here? <laughs> well, there's a lot, you know, when, uh, and I guess, I mean, we're kind of spoiling it, so that's okay. But when Richard, uh, he, he eventually jumps off the roof. And when he jumps off the roof, he's laying, you know, dead on the, on the ground on his pavement down below. Um, Derek walks over and Richard's laying there and Derek takes the mask off and he's laying there and his, his head is sideways and Derek lays almost his head the exact same angle, almost like a part of yeah, him died. Yeah. I'm like, that's badass. That looks, that's fantastic how they did that. That's a great image. And, you know, it would be great to use for like promotional material, but that would pretty much like ruin the whole thing right, right off the bat. Ah, oh, but like the 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 kills are like how they're orchestrated, you know. It's I feel like the plan he had would be sort of impossible to try and pull off the kill, make those kills exactly at midnight. But it's like a great plan by it the killers. Me, it took me a while to realize, like a while. I've I watched this movie probably literally probably two hundred times. It took me a while to realize that because what I thought because you can do this to a point if, if with certain locations i thought he was killing somebody and then driving to the next time zone and killing them how the fuck is he getting that far he's not he was just literally waiting every hour going somewhere else and doing something else but i right, thought he was right. killing a different person in a different time zone i'm like that's going to be damn near impossible but that's what that wasn't what he was doing but i thought he was at first and i didn't know how that worked um but no that that wasn't the case yeah, yeah. I went, well, the first time I watched it, I'm like, this is bullshit, man. Like, how in the right. hell is he driving from Aspen to New York to Chicago? Like, right. this movie would not take an hour and a half. It would be like, right. fucking, <laughs> this would be a miniseries. But then right. once I, I saw it when I was, like, much older, because I think I saw this was when I was, like, uh, 13, 12, 13 That's years old. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't understand that part. Well, but then as I got older, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm picking up on that. I'm picking up what you're throwing down. Right, exactly. But uh, like when he kills poor Sally, the way he he gets so upset because they made him late to where he's got to be for midnight, that he pulls over, asks the other friend, I think her name was Lisa, and I I forget the actress's name that plays her, but you know, tells her I want what I want you to do. I want you to get out of the car, go into the liquor store, use the bathroom. (laughs) <laughs> and then buy the biggest fucking bottle of champagne you can find. Like he's trying to buy as much time so he can bump off Sally. Yeah. But like, oh, when he turns on the like the, these poor girls never see it coming. Right. You know, when he puts the bag over her head, there's there's something about suffocation scenes that make my my hair stand on end because it's just like uh, it's just like a phobia. My not being well, able. Those to- are, it was a good one. It was a good one. It was um you know it went on for a little bit, which is good. And it didn't really cut away from the scene too much, which I liked. And then um, when he finishes that up in the dumpster, when you think right away, total misdirection. She's going to find a dead body. And no, that's not what it was. And it was yeah, really he, good. Really, really. <laughs> yeah. Really. When it reveals that he's in there and he just lights the lighter and smiles. And smiles. Like, yeah. And those poor cops, when they find the girls on like the swing set <laughs> and the way it's edited, when the one girl's kind of, uh, I think it's Lisa character, like slides down the slide and her neck is still pumping blood. Yeah. It's like bravo. Yep. Bravo to the way they, they did that. Mm-hmm. But there's only one thing that happens in this movie <laughs> that I find 
that laugh out loud funny is like the one thing that was not in his well laid plan. To, was in Richard's well laid plan was running afoul of those bikers. Yes, <laughs> you know? that was right. You know when the, he fought, when he the guy gets he has the middle finger and all. Yeah, yeah, the guy that get flips them off, and they have to go to the <coughs> excuse me, the drive-in. But they're playing. What are they playing at? The yeah, yeah, the, blood feast. Well, it says Blood Feast, but I read a bit of trivia here because I thought it didn't look like Blood Feast. It's the Red right. Queen kills seven times, but they called it Blood Feast, apparently. Okay. I don't I don't know why they did that. They were using the, the movie right. footage. Somebody was going to find out. But I, I'm, I'm a sucker for any movie that has a scene that takes place in a theater or in, yep. in a drive-in or, you know, anything like that. I'm a sucker for any kind of sequence like that. I so like, they, what did you say? At least say something like uh, he was just as a priest at that point, and he go to attack him. He's like, uh, "No fight! I'm a man of I'm a man of God." And then he like stabs a guy, and then he I forgot what he said. Yeah, oh, he says, "I'm I'm a man of God, not a man of violence." And then he stabs him in the chest. Right, right, right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then what I, I love what it's cutting back and forth uh, between this happening and the cops. You know, like we kind of glossed over this, but the cops have gotten involved. There's uh, what's the character's name? Lieutenant Clayton. Right. right. That really played very well by Chris Wallace. Now, mm. this is the one point that this, I guess, is another little nitpicky thing I haven't. Why they brought in the uh, the character that was the doc, the Dr. Reed, that seemed like he was a it seemed like he was a weird addition to the movie really? so late in the game. Yeah. And the thing is, too, is and he was a good actor, but his. His delivery didn't. It's it seemed at odds with the rest of the characters. Yeah, um, it just, it's not necessarily it, a bad thing. It's just no. a weird, weird element. That probably that was probably some kind of a uh, Halloween thing where you have to have the doc. You have to have something clinical in there at some point. You got to have so a Loomis character, right? And I don't think they needed him at all. But he he didn't. I don't think he detracted. He, they just didn't really need him in there. It just felt weird if it, if he had been introduced early as early on was when the cops became involved with the right. situation that would have made more sense because it's like now we're all of a sudden a couple of kills along and now he's involved it just it just felt weird. and 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 what he was saying was kind of what has already happened so it was like okay well thanks he's not going to stop until whatever he's going to kill and kill again. well that's exactly what he was doing so yeah like the, yeah. the killer already told us he was going to do this like right. we don't need you <laughs> right. But, I didn't uh, mind him, but yeah, I, I get that. I can I can see that. But there's a scene right around this point that is also one of my favorite scenes. Is when the punk rock group doesn't want to listen to the cops. You know, <laughs> they're all yelling they're, at him. Like, yeah, they're all yelling at him. They're like, "Hey, well, during the commercial break, we got some information." You know, and they're just booing him. They're cursing <laughs> at him. <laughs> yeah, like you're saying that a punk rock rocker crowd doesn't want to listen to the fuzz. The hell you say, you know. <laughs> But uh, you know, it's this is the point in the movie where you got to we got to talk about Derek's uh, the Grant Kramer character because it's really obvious that he is not doing well. He is not doing well, not not necessarily physically, but mentally because he's he's in the same place that his father is, although we don't know as his father yet. Still at this point, we don't know. But he just he just wants some of his mom's attention. That's where this all stems from. Just he, he that's what it is. Like he he's. He is gravitating towards his dad, like you said, with that similar knife and with the mannerisms and everything. Um, 
because he's not finding that affection from his mother. And it comes out where that's where Richard is really kind of pissed off, too, because he brings it right up. He's like, your son had this and this to tell you. And you kind of, you know, blew him off and this and that. She blows Um, him off several times. Several times. And that's one of the things that was fueling him a lot. And through the movie, Derek was trying to call the dad. He could reach the dad because that was on the road killing everybody. (laughs) So, you know, yeah, it, it was very actually very layered. Um, it, Derek's character was very interested, very interesting and very layered. Um, but the whole script was, it had a lot, again, uh, on the surface, it was a slasher flick and as a slasher flick, it was even a mild slasher flick by comparison. I mean, Louise already said the blood was uh, minimal. Uh, there was some good, good uses of it, but some overall it was minimal or off screen. Um, and you know, on the surface, it, if you take it that way, then you have people saying, well, the body counts much, much less than Friday the 13th and the blood is less. And this, but there's a lot going on in the script. And um, they, they like I said, the filmmakers really walk that fine line almost flawlessly with with how they're making everything unfold, because there's a lot going on that they they're, they're revealing just enough to drive the story forward, but not enough to really ruin what's going on. Cause you literally do not know what the hell's going on until the last 15 minutes where it's like, Oh, that makes sense. Well, the, so, in that reveal where he's right. behind her and he's got the mask on and she turns around and he takes the mask off. She's like, Oh, Richard, it's you. And then she kisses, they kiss right and everything. There, it's just right like, that moment. It's like a gut punch. It's just like, no, don't, don't kiss this guy. He's done killed a half dozen that, people. That's what that point is, you know, right when he takes the mask off and smiles and says, you know, whatever, and she runs over, right at that moment, it hits you as an audience member. You're like, oh, shit, everything that I was thinking is out the window right now. Let's let's um, buckle up and get ready for the rest of the movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sh- like, buckle up, buttercup, because you're going, going for a ride. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And poor Lieutenant Clayton, he, he puts everything together. He puts the pieces together about five minutes too late. Too late, yeah. <laughs> when that one dopey cop is just like, oh, yeah, well, the, the husband's upstairs. He said that the, the the manager, you let him in. And he's like, I didn't let him I in. Did. Right, yeah. And then that's when they're like, well, yeah, he spent time at the same asylum that he you know, right. committed one of the murders at. And then it's like everything. But it's already too late because he's already right. infiltrated everything. But the... This is the the the, the funniest kind of mishmash of uh, acting chops. Um, Diane is in the in the elevator, and uh, Richard is you know Diane's in the elevator with the cop. Richard is messing with the electrical system, making the elevator drop and drop and drop. And the cop looks just stone faced, like he, the cop just seems like you know the, is he's like, sleepwalking. Try that, button, try that button again. Hit that one. Do it again. Yeah. Yeah, do it again. Hit the button again. Right. And Diane is just freaking the fuck out. Totally freaking frantic. I'm yep. just like, he should be. A, I'm just like, I can't help but think to myself again. It's a it's a minor quibble, mm-hmm. but I think to myself, this guy should be a lot more concerned, especially being a police officer for the safety, right. of the the especially you know of himself and the in the the person he's assigned to protect. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, this is, and that may be just attributed to. To be honest, uh, uh, lackluster acting. I mean, <laughs> I yeah. don't think that was a. I don't think that was necessarily a, a, an artistic decision. So. <laughs> yeah, that probably wasn't. 
I I love the intricacy of like how he's messing with the elevator and he drops it and he like just when he opens up the you know the elevator doors open up and she looks up and she's just like oh Richard and then he just drop kicks the and cop in the face right and knocks the face. him. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just going on and on when he, this is the point where he, he what you've already mentioned you know, the scene you mentioned where he goes on his long diatribe about great that's uh, great it is a, some great dialogue and it goes on for a little while it's lengthy but it, it never mm -hmm. it never wears out as welcome but I well love the one reason is that there, there really is he really is saying interesting things that aren't just contrived just for the hell of you know wrapping up a movie and also his performance is just so engaging. He's fantastic. Ben fucking tastic. Yeah, great fucking uh, Kitten Devin. MVP we we here. we lost him about three or four years ago, but um, outstanding, outstanding. Well, I I, I re actually recognize him. I had to look him up because you know it was always one of those kind of a character actors that I'm like I know I mm -hmm. recognize him from something else. Um, I was always a big fan of the the big disaster movies of the, the mid seventies. Oh, he was in like Airport or something. One of those. Airport, yeah, seventy five. He was in okay, Earthquake. Yeah. He was even uh, he was a cop in Magnum Force. Yeah. So he's he he, he was in some shit, you yeah. know. But you're always one of those guys. It's just like you you know you recognize him, but you got to look him up and be like, what is what has he been in? And then you literally like, realize like Robert, he's been in like Robert Joy. Yeah, <laughs> love that dude. Uh, but when he uh, to get back to what I was aiming at before I got, got derailed myself here, when he opens up and he says to her, "This has been the worst year of my life dealing with you." And he's like, "I can." He and he when he lays his his head on her chest in that line that you've already said, but I got to mm -hmm. repeat it because it bears repeating. <laughs> I can hear your heart beating. I don't like that. <laughs> it's just one of those. This is like. Ooh, that's cold. That's some cold. But it heart. wasn't even. It wasn't even like, you know, the at that point in movies is when you start getting all the one-liners and all the drop, all the laughs from the killers and all that. He was deadpan, and it worked, and it was. Oh yeah. Some of it was still humorous, but no, the way he delivered it was like, oh shit, that's really fucked up. Like, like I turned made, to him tonight. Business. Right. I turned to my wife tonight. We were watching it, and I, again, we've seen it hundreds of times. And he's like, when he said that line, I turned to him like, oh, that's really fucked up. And she was like, yeah, that's pretty fucked up. But it wasn't really funny. It was just, it was funny because it was fucked up. Yeah, it wasn't played for laughs, but it was no. just one of those that make you go, ooh, that's cold. That's cold. Yeah, it was. It was. Now, and I got to say something for, the, for, for uh, a lack of better term, everybody in this movie, when it comes down to the little shootout that they have, when mm -hmm. the cops, you know, find... Uh, you know, uh, Richard at the, the control panel, you know, messing with the elevator and they're shooting back and forth at, at everybody, <laughs> three, four cops shooting. He's shooting back. N all these people have stormtrooper aim. Like, <laughs> none of these guys get hit, you know, an elephant, you know, they can hit a barn with an elephant if they were. Well, he and, didn't, not... and he didn't he didn't shoot anyone either, except when he was going up the no. staircase. He looked down, took aim, shot one cop. Yeah, got one cop. Got that guy back. But, you know, yeah. Uh, and what does Richard do? I, I know you've already touched base on this, but what does he do at the very, very end when he gets cornered on the roof? He finds out something. He finds out. He finds. Mm -hmm. no, sorry. <laughs> he finds out mm -hmm. that he can't fucking fly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. He just jumps. Well, he he puts him. He he grabs the mask, puts it on, and just goes off on a fucking nutty rampage for a minute, just rambling on and on, and just takes a leap off the building that was it 
it's so abrupt. Yeah, so abrupt. It's, crazy. it's just like, you know, like first time I watched this, I remember saying to myself, I'm like, oh, well, that's disappointing. But then we get that gut punch of an ending where Grant Kramer, you know, he he uh, his, his he flips his canoodle, you know, mm-hmm. when they, they're wheeling his mom into the ambulance and they're like, hey, you know, and they call forward to, to, to the driver, the ambulance driver, like you're ready to go. And then you see that the ambulance driver is laying dead on the floor and it's Grant Kramer, son, Derek driving the ambulance pulling away while wearing he slow his... yeah, he slowly turns around you see the mask he turns yeah. back slowly drives away i'm like that is a freaking ending right there that's that's how you in my opinion anyway that's mm-hmm. how you end a slasher movie that's how you end a good fucking slasher movie yep and unfortunately we did not get a sequel and i think the time has passed in order to get us get ourselves a, a you know uh I don't know. They're starting. They're starting to do these, these uh, legacy sequel bullshit things now. But I just don't think the, at this point, I don't know if the following is there specifically to uh, enough of a following to to warrant a sequel. But um, never say never. I mean, yeah, you never say never. It just seems unlikely. But I would be all for. But that again, that's that's why we're here for this show. Single serving slashers. It's the slashers that we only got one of. And yep. It's unfortunate, and it's kind of a seems to me sacrilege. We could have definitely had a sequel. I don't know if we could have had maybe a trilogy or a series, but we definitely could have had a follow up. Oh yeah, for sure. But that being said, that is the end of our movie with Grant Kramer driving off very slowly with his mom in the back of the ambulance, and you can probably probably rest easy at night knowing that uh, she did not make it to the hospital you, you <laughs> can probably figure that out you know if you want to read into things and get some backstory and whatnot yeah she didn't make it she might have made it but she didn't make it alive we'll just right. leave it there folks but that being said um you know how we do things around here we usually do a quick summary of our thoughts on the movie and a rating on a scale from one to ten and uh, i guess go first so have at it man I think you'll come in just under what I'm doing, but I just, you know, what else is there to say about this? Absolutely brilliant slasher flick um, for the fact that, again, the filmmakers knew they were making a slasher film and didn't try to overreach by doing anything more than that, but just honed all their skills and put everything they had into making the absolute kick-ass slasher film. I got to give it a 10. It's an absolute perfect movie for the slasher genre i'm not saying it's you know any academy award-winning film but for what it is it stays in its lane and it freaking owns its lane big time yeah well yeah i am coming in a little less than you because i you know i talked about a few of the minor mm-hmm. quibbles i had with it i can't quite give it a 10 but i'm coming in close i'm giving it a nine cool so i'm not that far underneath you i think it's brilliant it's got a it's it's got great acting. I mean, a few That's, little this the sub characters are a little off, but yeah. I could forgive that. I mean, I gave it a nine for crying out loud. But like, hey, I've, I've seen my own performances in movie camera. That's so why I was a little more <laughs> forgiving, I guess. <laughs> I guess I sh- I've seen some of my own performances too, and I I guess I sh- probably should be a lot more forgiving. But but you know, I mean, it, like you know, it, it's about as perfect as a slasher can be, in my opinion. Yeah. It's got, a, again, great soundtrack. The incidental music is really, really good. And it, it you know, it's, it's all very appropriately timed for the, you know, for the scenes. Mm-hmm. The, the, the songs by uh, 
you know, are by far probably, you know, the 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 shining point of this movie. Besides mm-hmm. the, the performance by uh, Kip Niven. Like, Kip Niven, yeah, it's, yeah, it, he's it's the MVP. Un- oh, really? And it's unapologetically um, gloriously in the 80s. Um, it's just perfect. It, it's it's a perfect time capsule for that era. A perfect time capsule for me for the epitome of defining a true slasher flick in the true slasher heyday. Uh, I don't think you get much better than New Year's Evil, to be honest. No, no, and it's so underappreciated. I'm I've known people that have, I, I've talked to about this movie and they have never heard of it. And I'm just like, how? I mean, I can understand if you've never seen it, but how have you never heard of it, man? Right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, again, this is a, a perfect uh, slasher for uh, single serving slasher month, and I, I'm I'm glad we, we we chose this one. Well, I didn't choose it; you chose this one. <laughs> Once you yeah. said pick a pick a slasher movie that uh, never had a sequel, I right away said New Year's Evil. I was like, this is just. There's no way like you, 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 when you contact him, you rattled off like a huge list. And I'm just like, New Year's Evil. I wasn't even on a list. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's a good one. Like, yeah, well, like I, I, like I was even saying to myself, I was like, I'm kind of ashamed that I didn't put that one in like uh, in the list. Because <laughs> like, as I was like contacting people about being on the show for this, that everybody else was coming like, well, what about this one? What about this one? I'm like, fuck, how did I, I, I even missed like a lot of these, but you know, I feel like it's uh, it's a topic, you know, you know, slasher movies that didn't have any sequels, you know, remakes, you know, are one thing, reboot, reboots and what are one thing, but like no official sequels. It, it, it's it's a topic you could have its own show. You could probably because there's hundreds of them. You know, it's like when we did Vincent Price Month, like how do you like, you know, relegate something like that to a month? You know, it's it's almost almost like we're doing, you know, uh how, how you want to say it. you know it's almost like we're doing a disservice by just doing a month's worth of them but right well, you know you're bringing attention to it and yeah. that's hopefully what we're doing with this movie you know I, and i kind of you know it, it's a it's a blessing and a curse because i don't like when and i, I love this show i don't want to make it sound like it's um like i'm bashing something but like um I, i'll give you an uh, example like stranger things right they feature a song like what is it kate bush running up that hill and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. all the new young kids love her and love the music and love this and that. And the people that have liked her, like I had that song on my Spotify for my 80s block, you know, my 80s folder or whatever it is. I've had that on there for a couple of years. Um, and then, you know, all of a sudden now it's all over the place and this and that. I don't mind it that much, but the people that relish in the fact that some people like this underground stuff, you know, and. I, I kind of like this goes back to New Year's Evil here. It's like I like how it's so underground and it's so selective and it's, uh, you know, with with audiences and it's so kind of underknown and underappreciated. But then at the same time, I want more people to see it. But then at the same time, I don't want more people to see it. You know, yeah, you, you it feels like it's, it's more personal if you're one of the only people that is. you know of that that appreciates it like you do. No, it is. And And when you go to a lot of these conventions and you know i i think it's cool like i can't even imagine you go you're like kane hotter you're like robert england and you go there and you see people that are basically your age like you know 60 year old or whatever really into nightmare on elm street and you see you know four or five year old little girl being dragged by her parent 
who has a Freddy Krueger glove or a Freddy shirt on, that's got to hit you like emotionally, like, wow, that's freak. I'm really impacting pop culture. That's insane. That's really, really cool. But at the same time, if you're not on that level and, you know, like one of us, we're not, you know, we're not lucky enough to be part of one of the original Paramount Friday 13th films or, you know, one of those real defining movies. But as a, a huge horror fan, I mean, a huge, like, I know you are, it's like, I, I was probably six or seven when I was really getting into horror movies, like fucked up horror movies, not just like, oh, I liked, you know, I don't know, something dumb, but I was really into this stuff. And the stuff kinda, like, you know, that, that kids probably shouldn't be seeing like yeah. sleepaway camp. Yeah. And I, I kind of don't like when I go to a lot of conventions now, it's sad because you have horror fans that are some of the best fans in the world. They're loyal. They're dedicated. They're they know everything. They're they're They will freaking do anything for, you know, their fandom is insane, which is great. But then you have this and I'm not bashing newer, newer people that are just getting into stuff. I like when newer people are learning stuff. And so it's a blessing and a curse, like with New Year's Evil, people really haven't been exposed to it um and so it's sad because i I almost you know you and i have spoken about this for years i appreciate everything about uh, or at least something about every single movie because what you did is you took an idea out of the air manifested it into an actual tangible product that's in a feat in itself you know i'm impressed with that that should be very you should be proud of that you should be celebrated for that anything anything should be should do that you know you should be proud of anything yeah uh, i want to say there, there's film. been very few movies that i've ever watched that i would i would say you know what i mean that had no redeeming value right, maybe right, like right. two <laughs> movies i can think of off the top of my head right maybe so 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 and so i always try to find something positive about stuff because i drew, truly do i'm in awe <laughs> i really do uh feel in awe of any film out there it's just amazing it's just amazing the whole process that we're all doing films and you know you and i and our our circle we're lucky enough to be able to be making our own films or at least be part of other people's films it's a huge thing but you know at the same time i and so it's important but when i look at like new year's evil it's so good i feel bad for the filmmakers because they're not getting the recognition that they really deserve for it but then as a fan as a lifelong deep deep-seated fan of this stuff i'm, I'm kind of glad at the same time if that makes sense <laughs> yeah it, it's a double-edged sword you know party it it's, it's like a little from column a a little for column b it's just it like really is. like for instance this is a movie that we're going to uh tom commissar and i are going to be covering this weekend that's a personal favorite of mine that hardly anybody i know like that i know who have seen it loves it but not many people have seen it as dr giggles and a totally, totally different kind of movie than this, you yeah, know. I have it on, I have the tape. It took me a while to get tape, but I've had it for years. I didn't just pick up the tape. Um, that's a great movie. But, you know, that's what's cool, too, is you look at Tom. Tom's older than us as well, but Tom's a badass. Tom probably saw, like, Texas Chainsaw and or Friday the 13th Part 1 in theaters. <laughs> that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. I he gets legendary first, street cred for that. Right, he does. The first Friday Thirteenth I saw, I think it was part three in the theaters, which is still cool. But you know, it's much cooler saying when Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out and no one heard of it. I was in the drive-in checking it out, and it freaked everybody out. 
that has much more of an impact than saying, yeah, I caught it on streaming the other day. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a, there's definitely a divide there. And so I think I'll leave it there. But you know what I'm saying? I, I just, oh, yeah, I totally get it's it. It's a blessing and a curse at the same time when, when things are not uh, properly given their due. Yeah, and this is a movie that definitely was never given its proper due. No, not at all. Not at all. Even with the horror, um, you know, a lot of sites, a lot of books and magazines, they cover all these films, and, and that's very rarely touched upon. Or if it is, it's just briefly mentioned, like you said. If it's mentioned at all, it's just mentioned in, like, uh, you know, a little blurb, like, yeah, and then there was a bunch of hol- uh, holiday-themed parties, like April Thursday, blah, 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 New Year's Eve. And so they don't even go into it there either. So it's it's yeah. just it's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's a shame, but <laughs> but uh, as I was gonna say, uh, I think we'll wrap this one up for the evening. I want to thank you for I know because you're busy. You know you're uh, maybe an uncouth way of saying it, but you are balls deep in editing your movie, yeah. aren't you? I'm, you're I'm still right over there. As soon as we hang up, and this is I don't know what time it is now. I don't know what time you're gonna actually put this podcast out for people but yeah it's like almost one o'clock in the morning and as soon as we're done i'm with this i'm hopping back on a computer to edit more of the movies so. <laughs> but this one is a sequel though right yeah it is <laughs> this one got a sequel <laughs> yeah this one yeah and much deserved much deserved too <laughs> well uh, i want to thank you for i know like i said you you, you are so busy uh, you know doing editing and doing so many other things so i just wanted to say i appreciate you you know coming on the show taking a couple hours to revisit this movie and to talk a little little bit of uh, nostalgia about old new year's evil absolutely always have time to do that for sure especially especially on your show it's good stuff right on right on well again thank you scott appreciate it and folks at home thank you as always for listening if you really want to help us out here at cinema degeneration rate review subscribe wherever you get your podcast we are pretty much there wherever fine podcasts are sold so i want to thank you for tuning in for another episode of single serving slashers appreciation month where we have been reviewing and dissecting new year's evil from 1980 as always thank you for listening folks all right it's time now for you about for the top new wave hit of here give us a call and i must have you already know our number from our regular saturday show now don't you